You are listening to the Bug Bucks Podcast, hosted by Solomon Earhart and Alan Draper, where they will discuss scaling and growing your pest control company with the goal of helping you become a bug money millionaire. And we started hiring for that. And we're very big proponents of hire for your weaknesses. So if I'm not great at sales, I'm not great at marketing, I want to find someone who is incredible at that and bring them into the organization because it helps so much. Your ROI is going to be there immediately because they're doing something better than you can do. You're not spending energy on things that you really aren't great at. And you can focus on really building a really strong foundation. Welcome to the Bug Bucks podcast. I'm Alan Draper. I've got my man, Saul, here with me. What's up, Saul? Not much, man. How are you doing? Doing good, man. You know what's funny is that I referred somebody to an episode, like somebody had a question in one of our episodes answered the question. And I'm like, you got to check this episode out. And they responded with, hey, man, you know, I'm trying to become a bug money millionaire. And so I'm like, okay, you know. Let's go. (laughs) This best response ever. Yeah, I think we're all trying to become bug money millionaires. That's right, man. Hopefully a time over or two. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm excited about our guest today. Before we get started, you guys make sure to follow us or subscribe to the podcast on the platform that you're listening to this on. We have received like a bunch of five-star reviews recently, which is really helping. But just so you know, I searched pest control in Apple Podcasts yesterday, and there were 10 podcasts above ours in the search results that haven't recorded since 2019 or earlier. So make sure to leave us a review so people can find us. So yeah, we're excited to welcome Courtney Karachi today. She's one of the owners and she's actually the COO of Pest End. It's a second generation woman-owned family pest control and wildlife business up in the New England area. I have an office in Boston. I love that area. She's involved in the industry at a local, regional, and national level. And she kind of has this goal of helping her organization become the largest privately owned pest control company serving New England in the next 10 years. I love lofty goals. Welcome to the show, Courtney. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. For sure. That's awesome. That's a big goal. In New England, I mean, there's some big companies up there. There's some big privately held companies too. So that's awesome. Yeah, they there are definitely a lot of worthy competitors in our area, but we are really excited. We definitely have some very lofty goals, very ambitious that we are rolling out over the next three, five, and 10 years. So we're really excited about this to get this down on paper and really commit to it. Now, Courtney, how does your how does your husband feel about the women-owned pest control <laughs> title? Oh, well, it's a little bit of a point of contention on, on occasion. Uh, but my sister-in-law, my husband, and I each own a third of the business. My mother-in-law, who was the first generation, she owned the majority with my... And my father-in-law owned 49%. So <laughs> it's kind nice. of always been a joke, but he's super involved, as is my sister-in-law. So we're very lucky that we have really supportive people in our company and in the industry and in the area uh, that has have really embraced that woman-owned business. It's it's really critical, I think, especially these days to promote yourself as, as such if you're able to. Yeah. I mean, I was just talking, I think, at Pest World, and it kind of amazes me at the level of of caliber, I feel like of women leaders we have in this company with like the owner True. of Arrow, the Truly Nolan, 
a couple other companies in the East Coast, right? I think American or All American. All American in Nashville. All American. Yep. Yep. Aaron Richardson. It's like super exciting, man, to just see like the powerful women in this in this organization. Absolutely. I think that's so huge right now. I was in a meeting earlier today and it was actually a group of very well-known women in the industry kind of talking about a similar topic. And we are all really excited about the support that we receive in a traditionally male-dominated industry. So that's been huge. And I know that you had mentioned Erin and she actually was on the call with me today, but Mm. she is amazing. She actually really helped us with our transition to becoming a second-generation woman-owned business. She's third, though, I think. I think it was her grandfather that started it. She is, and she's done so much. So we took a very similar approach to purchasing the company as she did a couple of years back from Mm -hmm. her dad. So that has really been instrumental in, in helping us to kind of transition over the past 10 to 18 months. Let's talk about that process of buying out the parents and taking over the company. Tell us, I guess, how that happened or and how that how you guys executing that and what you guys are kind of doing with that now? Sure. So we've always, the question's always been, hey, when are we going to make this transition? Are we going to do it in our 30s and our 40s? Are we going to have to wait until forever? Sometimes it felt that way. (laughs) Um, But as it happened, you know, last year, especially with COVID and working remotely and networking and all of that, we met with Erin during a couple of different seminars that NPMA had put on. And she had talked about her story and we were intrigued by that. So as I had mentioned earlier, she was really instrumental in kind of getting the ball rolling as far as laying out a transitional process for us. And really what it comes down to is, you know, we wanted to remain a family-owned business. And if something were to ever happen to my in-laws, we didn't want to have to bring in a private equity firm to pay off and be able to sustain the business that way. We want to be the majority owner in our own company. So we started that conversation and there was a lot of discussion that went through with all of that with my in-laws, but they've been very supportive. They're still involved to some extent. Uh, we still meet. We use them as as mentors as they have had a ton of experience in the business. So they're a really great resource for us. But it was definitely not without some bumps in the road. Sure. But as of December 31st of this past year, we did take ownership of it. And we've really kind of streamlined our processes and, and made some really significant changes as well as we've made that turn to becoming full owners of the business. So let's chat about that a little bit. On my original podcast, Start and Grow Your Pest Control Company, I had one of my buddies, he's in Florida, Chad Mareshi, And he did something similar. His dad has started the company. We spent a lot of the episode actually talking about that transition and a lot of the things that his dad... You know, not to toss him under the bus, but some of the things that he was doing that were a little outdated. Did you find that to be the case? Were there some things that, you know, just some younger blood coming in, some, a fresh set of eyes with systems and the business processes? Absolutely. Several years ago, we started to really run the day to day operations. So we had already affected some change in that regard. But again, when you have five people in an ownership type position, kind of competing. Uh, It's a lot of voices in the room. So it it can be a little bit challenging to get things done 
especially if you're voting on it and, and there's a little bit of, of controversy over the particular subject. So I definitely think that over the past year, we've taken some big, big steps. And we started by having a, a company-wide meeting when this went through to officially announce it. And we were very transparent. That is something that I think we in the industry are doing really well, is we are having those conversations and we're connecting with other people in the industry, and we're not keeping things so close to our chest anymore, which I think was a little bit more typical of previous generations. So sharing our experiences and sharing our experiences with our team before, oh, don't talk about profit and loss. Should you share this information? Yeah. Should you not? We're, you know, we're an open book now. So are you saying that you do share like bottom line revenue numbers with employees? We share our sales. I know Saul knows this because of EOS, but we do have quarterly meetings and we say where we've done well and where we didn't do so well. And we're very honest, you know, here are our goals and we met these ones, but we weren't successful here. And this is why. And here's our profit for the quarter. And here's not. It's really worked well. It keeps our team engaged, which is really, really critical, especially these days. People want to know what they're doing. They want to feel like they have a purpose in the organization. And this provides some of that and some validation to the work that they're doing as well. They're not just coming to in and, you know, killing ants or answering phones or anything like that. It's really giving them a sense of purpose within the organization. So that was really critical that we express that right off the gate. And that we were going to be making changes and change is scary for people, but we have to do so to remain competitive in the industry. And that is a huge thing, especially with all of the mergers and all of the acquisitions going on. We don't want to be gobbled up because we just can't keep pace. So we have to make some changes. We've made a lot of new hires this year. We've changed our structure and that kind of all flows into, I know you had Phil on, on your, one of your Mm -hmm. podcasts, but Mm -hmm. We implemented EOS too, and that really has been absolutely transformational for our for our organization. Yeah, and Alan, a big thing with EOS is you are supposed to share your profit goals, but obviously you want to you know let your people whether you hit your goals or not. But I think, and and you probably know the same. It's like what you find is like if the business is doing ten million a year, right? The employees somehow in their mind think you're taking home five to six million dollars cash a year, which it's like we all know that that really isn't usually always the case, you know, to take that much money home. So I think a lot of them are actually surprised sometimes when you're setting goals, even say at a five percent or a 10 percent or a 15 percent net margin. They expect that you're taking home 50 to 60% of, of what you're making. And, and once they realize mm. that that's not the case, it usually changes the tone a little bit. But Courtney, have you kind of found that that clarity with those numbers and and those profits have led to a better culture within your organization? Absolutely. And to piggyback on what you were saying, to know where that profit is going, it's not just, oh, we, we made this in profit. It's we made this and this is how we're reinvesting that in the business. We're mm. buying new buildings, we're buying new vehicles, we're investing in new technology. So to be able to kind of show... Yes, we are successful, but we also need to reinvest in the business to ensure that we maintain that success is really critical. And people have been super responsive to that. We're really excited that they're responding so well to it. We didn't know because it's definitely a new mind shift for for our team. But I think they're really appreciative overall that we are being so transparent. And one of the tenants in, in EOS is open and honest. And that's really all that we can be. 
if we're that way, then we can then expect that our team is that way. So it starts from the top and we make sure that that happens and filters all the way through the organization. So if there are concerns, they can come to us. You know, why didn't we hit these numbers? Well, we were short staffed or we didn't have enough people doing this particular thing, or we were low on products because of the supply chain issue. So you can pinpoint reasons why you are successful or why you may have fallen short in this particular quarter. And I think they really do appreciate that because it's not something that is widely done. Yeah, we have door to door marketing program. And when you spend, sometimes some of the expenditures seem outrageous. And a few years ago, we bought a pretty nice vehicle to kind of help with the branding of our marketing company. Obviously, we show it on social media to try to gain some traction and everything. And one of our inside salespeople in our call center saw it and asked his manager, like, Hey, I saw that we bought, you know, XYZ car, like, Where's my raise? Yeah, that's funny. See, I mean, that's the thing is like when those things aren't clear, people always start expecting that all the money's just going right into your pocket. You know, and it's like, okay, that's not really the case, right? I mean, so let's understand where this money's really going. So I love, Courtney, how you guys are kind of handling that. And then also how you're kind of explaining where that, that profit is getting like reinvested. Exactly. I honestly think that's a big part of it. I don't think. All companies should report profit, bottom line revenue numbers to their teams. Just for the record, I think Courtney is handling it the right way. And I've said this before, we have some outrageous numbers. I have two that will hit over 50% net profit. Not all of them. And some of them I'm losing money, right? But if I go like Courtney did and said, you know, hey, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. This is what we made. You know, we're reinvesting it in a lot of times we're putting it back into growth, right? We're retaining earnings and reinvesting into growth. But if you don't have that piece, don't start sharing those numbers. I think it can be very harmful because depending on where you're at, right? And if you're not making a lot of money, we have a lot of listeners that are trying to get over the hump. But the cool thing about pest control, as soon as you do, it just like you really get moving. I don't know. I'm torn on that. I'm torn on that. There's companies out there that grow like crazy that do very, very well with their margins in this industry. I think, Courtney, you hit the nail on the head. A couple of things. One, you have to show what that individual or that team is doing to help further the cause, right? What their role is in the bigger picture, because sometimes they get stuck on just answering phone calls or spraying houses. They need to see what their role is in the bigger picture. And number two, they have to, to some extent, understand that a lot of that growth is being reinvested into the company or do not share these numbers if you're just taking dividends and paying yourself and buying a bigger house. You'll really offend some people. Even though for the record, you guys deserve to have a bigger house and a nice car. <laughs> we all do, right? I completely agree. And and as Saul said, you know, that is really one of the critical mm-hmm. components of, of EOS is that you are honest and open and super transparent. Mm-hmm. So that was a commitment yep. that we made when we started doing EOS. So I totally agree. It is not for everyone. And you really need to be confident in what you're doing and really understand your numbers to be able to deliver that information appropriately. So I'm definitely not advocating for everyone to do it. But as part of the EOS process, as Saul can attest to, that is something that really we, we feel strongly in doing for our particular organization. Love it. And it's like I've met some employees of some companies, especially out here in North Carolina, where you know you know their owners, and these guys got multiple houses, they got airplanes, you know they got boats. You know these guys are are rolling in the dough, 
And I don't know much about the organization as much as like how their employees are compensated or paid or things like that. But I've never once met any of their employees who like talked bad about the owners like actually making money or like having all those Mm -hmm. nice things. I think really what it comes down to is, and I think when you're just starting out, it's impossible to be like that, right? But you're also maybe Mm -hmm. not rolling in a bunch of dough in the beginning. But I think at a certain point when you're at a good size, it's like, you have to make sure that what you're compensating your employees is is a high level of pay, right? Like you're not undercutting them and paying them crap. You have great benefits there as far as healthcare or 401k and, and a match program and, and other things like maybe disability insurance or long-term life care, life insurance and things like that to where mm-hmm. a lot of that money is getting pat or maybe you're doing profit share through your 401k or something. So, you know, I think if, if those things are in those benefits are in place for you to be able to grow and have that profitability the employees aren't going to be able to save anything and, and they're probably going to be super happy because they know they're getting a good good chunk themselves more than maybe what they could get if they were going somewhere else with an organization that maybe wasn't clear on, you know, how much money we're making and what we're doing with that money. I mean, you know, one thing I've always told our team is like, look, as we grow and everyone's doing their job and doing the right things to make this company more profitable, those profits will always trickle back down to the employees somehow, whether it's this mm. benefit or that benefit or increasing this or increasing that it's always going to trickle back down, right? Because even if we stay at a flat, you know, net profit margin over 10, 20 years, that profit that's going to come out of that percentage will always grow as the business grows. So it's like, I'm never worried about making the money. And, you know, a lot of us like you, Alan and, and Courtney, you as well. I mean, we're in it more for the long term, right? Not for that, that right. short, quick gain, right? So it's like, I don't mind losing profits in the beginning or reinvesting those profits in the beginning to grow something where these people are going to stay for a long, long time and do a really great job. But Courtney, so obviously I've been following you and you and I are both in the NPMA and executive leadership program. And you beat me on the PCT 100 list this year, but I did get you on the Inc. 5000. But from being such a you know, company that's been around for such a long time to be on, on the Inc. 5000, to have those growths, that's huge. So what have you guys been doing that you can accredit a lot of that growth recently to um, your organization over the last few years? So I definitely think the competition is strong between you and I, but uh, as far as everything else goes, really just the ability to have started a couple of years ago and really dig deep into the operational side of it and running the day-to-day and having that flexibility really started to give us an understanding of where our deficits were. And we started hiring for that. And we're very big proponents of hire for your weaknesses. So if I'm not great at sales, I'm not great at marketing, I want to find someone who's incredible at that and bring them into the organization because it helps so much. Your ROI is going to be there immediately because they're doing something better than you can do. You're not spending energy on things that you really aren't great at. And you can focus on really building a really strong foundation and work on the business rather than in the business. So looking at that and trying to identify where we needed more support was really foundational to helping us get there. And as we brought on more people, stronger individuals, and we really have a great, great talented group, not only at the executive level, but really all the way down. And I attribute a lot of that to hiring within our core values and really focusing on that. That's That's been a game changer for us. So kind of all of that has really led us to this point. And then 
hopefully will will get us to our next goal. But just really focusing on the foundation, find out what you need help with, and don't be afraid to admit it. You know, I I personally know I'm not great at marketing, so I'm going to hire an amazing marketing director and make sure that she is amazing, but make sure that she can do what I can't do because that is so critical for me to be able to spend my energy on on other things and growing the business. And I'd recommend that for really anyone, even if you're just starting out and you're looking to hire, what aren't you great at? Are you great on the road? Find someone for the office and vice versa. It makes all the difference and you'll see a return very soon after the fact, even if it's a little scary to spend that money on hiring people. What have you guys been doing for marketing that has helped you experience that crazy growth? So we are in the process of rebranding, which has been quite the process, Mm. but very exciting. Um, So we're going to be rolling out a new website, a new logo, new vehicles, new uniforms and everything like that. Very much more modern. So we're really excited about that. That's coming in Q1, Q2 of this coming year. So we're excited about that. So doing that, Social media is huge for us. We get so many referrals through Facebook. When our marketing director came on, she was shocked at the number of messages that we're getting on Facebook, referrals. Our web forms are are pretty substantial as well, but definitely focusing on the technology. And word of mouth is huge too. Um, We have a very strong presence in a couple of areas. So we get a lot of word of mouth referrals. But I would definitely say the emphasis on social media, Google, all of those kind of forms because this day and age, people are a lot more comfortable sending a Mm -hmm. quick message or a text or something like that rather than actually picking up the phone. So that's been a very big shift in how we address people, but we're going to have a web chat on our new website. So we're really embracing all that is technology because we know that that's really where it's going. Are you guys doing anything to increase that number of referrals? I mean, there's something to be said about the longevity in a market. There's nothing really that can replace that. But clearly, you guys are doing something recently to get you to the Inc. 5000. It already takes into consideration your, your size. Is there anything that you're doing to increase those referrals and those conversations on social media? So we do have referral programs. The other thing that we also... So have stressed a lot and our our sales team does it, but really everyone who's on social media does it. We're part of a lot of community pages and that is huge. There's a ton in New Hampshire. Every town has it. There's regional ones. And there's always someone looking for an exterminator. And wildlife in particular, there's not a lot of larger companies in our area that are doing wildlife. It's more one-man operations. So we have been the recipient of a lot of those leads as well. But people just tag us, you know, oh, I have an interior nest. I have, you know, yellow jackets coming through the ceiling. I, I have a bat. And people just tag us and we're getting message after message after message. And then people see that on the threads. I mean, sometimes it's like a hundred deep and it's it's crazy, but it's free advertising and it's really kind of a niche area. But if you have that in your area, I do, I would strongly suggest joining those, those groups because we get a ton of referrals and it really doesn't take much to do it. So just to clarify, are the people that are like tagging the company, are those employees or are those... Sometimes it's employees. A lot of times it's current customers of ours. Nice. Now, are you guys as a company, I guess, are you able to join those Facebook neighborhoods or do you have to be like an individual person's Facebook account? 
It's individualized. That's how we did. We did it a while ago. Adam and I, especially, and, and Amanda too, would join all of these groups, and we would send out messages or, "Hey, you know, I saw you have this. Can we help you with anything?" Type of thing. But as that's kind of been growing, and, and these groups have more and more members. It's no longer just us. It's our team is part of it. They might even just live in the town or we have relatives or again, our customers are part of it. But unfortunately, you do have to be, it's an individual member as opposed to, you know, the pest end group being able to be a part of that. Now that you guys have joined all these neighborhood groups, right? How (laughs) many uh, Facebook posts are you getting every day about some lady complaining about this person in her neighborhood or that person complaining about this? More so, I think what we get is... The people who want to save the squirrel that was run over and on the highway will get messages. Those are kind of the, the things that we get more so than than the complaint side of it or who is this person type of thing. We definitely get a lot of, you know, I found a mouse. It looks like it might be dead, but I'm not sure. Is there something that you can do? Do you know where I can bring it to be rehabilitated? So those are more of the questions we get. And it's kind of hard to answer those questions because, well, you know, I'm not really sure. I, I can't see oh, it. <laughs> so, but that's definitely more so what we get other than the leads that come in more save the wildlife type of thing. That's funny. Nice. That reminds me in Massachusetts, like two years ago, we had a tech that was out working. There were, you know, there was two feet of snow on the ground, like 24, 24. inches. I mean, sometimes it gets to 48 in Massachusetts also. But anyway, he was out treating somebody's house and then he saw the squirrel run under a car. And he was like trying to, you know, give some food to the squirrel because he's worried, right? Two feet of snow on the ground. And anyway, we got a complaint from this Karen and she sent us the video and she's like, yeah, he was trying to kill this squirrel. And, and I asked my tech and he's like, no, I was like, I was throwing him some peanuts I had in my car. Like, and you could see it anyway, you do get some of that stuff. And so it's tough to like, I think a big part of marketing is, am I in a position where I can deal with, especially if I'm doing volume, can I deal with the negative side or or the maintenance that comes with it. And that's really big in door-to-door. A lot of people say, Hey, I want to you know, start a door-to-door program. It's like, man, let me tell you about all the bad side first, because it's not for everybody. It does work for some people. But you, if you go into it knowing like, Hey, I am going to have to answer questions about... And it's going to take time. If you calculate that into your cost per customer acquisition, it's going to raise it. But if you go into it knowing that, you're like, Okay, that's fine. You, know, you want to maintain that brand and have those conversations, even though they don't move the needle for you. Yeah. I, I would imagine like being more of a local, like centralized company, that that type of brand communication and voice is probably super important when you're in like one big area, right? Yeah, that that really is critical for us. And though we service several states in New England, we do have our core area. And that, that's really the groups that we're a part of where we're densest just for ease and to make sure that we are available because some of these issues are things that they want addressed immediately. If you have a nest coming through a ceiling, they want someone out immediately and understandably so. Same thing. You have a bat flying around, though we may not be able to do much depending on the time of the year. Mm -hmm. To have that immediate response is really, really critical. And it's something that we have made an effort to make sure that we are available to do that. We're not going to send a message if if we can't do the service in a timely fashion. Now, a question we love asking PCOs, you know, if you guys could go back and do anything different from the start, what do you think it would be and why? So I know I alluded to this earlier, 
but definitely developing our core values a lot sooner than we did. We did it about two years ago, and that really has made a, a very big difference, identifying really the people that we want in our organization that we think will thrive given the parameters that we have. That really is very critical. We've seen so many positive results from hiring, firing, rewarding through that process. And it kind of provides a framework so it's not so subjective, which I think can be a little bit problematic. And aligning all of your decisions with them, I think, is really, really important. The other thing is, as I mentioned earlier, hiring for your weaknesses. I think a lot of times we as owners try to take on these specialized roles that maybe we really have no business doing. And we think we're doing it right. And then we realize, okay, I, you know, my plate is really full right now. I need to start figuring out what do I need? What's critical for me to do? And to bring on people, we, we brought on a technical director this year. That's something that we didn't have in the past. And his knowledge and his emphasis on training is really, really helping us kind of bring us to the next level. So Having those conversations and having people who you can rely on, who are really specialized and know exactly what they're doing and can bring that to the table for you is also something that I wish we had done a little bit sooner. And then, as I said, finding the right people, you know, not letting things fester or not keeping someone just because the job market is hard right now and hiring climate Mm. is not that great. Make the decision, commit to it. And find someone else because if they don't align with your values, you're going to have issues anyways. And it always kind of bubbles to the top. So yes, it's nice to have that body, but what's the damage that they're doing long-term if you keep them? Yeah, that's so true. And it's so hard, especially with technicians, because you have to go through the training process, the licensing process. Like It's so hard and it's so easy for us to justify it. Like, you know, oh man, maybe he was having a bad day, month you know, year, right? It keeps going. This conversation has been awesome. As we kind of wrap up here, Courtney, tell us a little bit about where you're taking the company, where you see it in the next few years and some of the things that you're working on. As you guys stated earlier, we are going to be the largest privately owned pest control company servicing New England in 10 years. So really everything that we're doing is in alignment with that goal. Right now, we're really focusing on training, training up our technicians, our office team, really on all sides. We have a new sales manager. So our sales process is changing and it's going to be really laser focused on different segments. And then also um, one of our huge undertakings this year is really rebranding our service offerings. So we have spent the last year really doing a deep dive into those and seeing what has worked, what has not worked, how can we be more profitable? And we'll be unrolling those in the next couple of weeks. So that's going to be a huge shift for us, but I think that's going to position us really well to help us attain our goal moving forward. That's Love awesome. it. All right. Any closing thoughts, Saul? You know, some of the things that Courtney mentioned are just are super huge. And and I know, Alan, you and I kind of have a lot of those conversations mm-hmm. with guys all the time where they're, yep. you know, maybe a sole, you know, owner, operator, right? And they're like, oh man, I just, I don't know if I should hire somebody. Like, you know, I don't want to take on the expense. I'm like, okay, well, where do you, what's your background? What's your expertise? Well, I'm in sales. It's like, then why are you in a truck spraying houses? Like hire somebody and get out there and sell. You know, why are you taking phone calls? Why are you working in the office? Like 
you know, yeah. just, just, you know, delegate the things that you're not extremely great at and yeah. focus your attention on where you can drive ROI. Like you're not going to make the most amount of money and grow your business if you're operating out of a, a service vehicle, if you're really, really great at selling, right? Like you can find a technician and you wouldn't have to pay them a ton of money, but the amount of sales that you're going to generate mm -hmm. and the ROI on that is going to drastically be higher and pay for that technician's salary if you just make the jump. And, and I, so I love when Courtney was saying, just find those people who, who yeah. fit the, you know, fill those weaknesses you have and just take the plunge and, and just bring them Perfect. on board and, and you won't regret it at all. So I think guys are going to love hearing that and girls as well, because a lot of times people have the hard time making that decision. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I mean, it comes down to what the owner wants to do, right? A lot of people that call me and chat with me want to scale their companies. And I tell them, well, you know, are you driving a truck? Like, you know, ask some, some basic questions. And my goal is to help them get into the position where they add the most to their business. And sometimes it's hard for them because they don't necessarily want to do those things. But at the end of the day, if they're out doing services or whatever, when they should really be working on marketing or hiring or whatever, they're really doing a disservice to their company and they're limiting the future opportunities of the people that work there. So. Well, Courtney, this, is, this has been fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us. There's so much our listeners have to learn from you and especially just the way that you've taken over the company, but you've really scaled it and you're revolutionizing it. You're repackaging it and it's been a real treat. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the Bug Bucks Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode... Please show your support by subscribing and leaving us an honest five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you, and we'll catch you on the next episode.